Welcome to Successful Student Transitions, a time to thrive. Life is full of change and resulting periods of transition. And some of life's big transitions begin as students, as they move through the educational process and then on to the world of work or further education, university and independent living. If students can learn how to thrive through these transitions, they'll acquire invaluable skills that will help support them through a lifetime of change and transition. So if you're a student facing some life transitions or an educator or parent supporting students through these times of change, then this podcast is for you. We share insights and suggestions to help students thrive in a world where change is the only constant. a very warm welcome to episode 18 where I'm delighted to introduce you to Fabienne Vales. Fabienne is a UK expert on emotional and mental well-being within the education sector. As an educational expert with over 20 years experience in the sector, Fabienne is on a mission to change the face of education, embedding well-being into the curriculum to create an environment where both students and staff flourish. Fabian is also the author of a book called Flourishing Education, a podcast of the same name, and co-author of another book, How to Grow a Grown-Up. Now, as you listen to our conversation, I hope that the content in relation to well-being will be helpful to you as a student, a parent, or an educator. You'll hear Fabienne talk about her recent research with students and what it has taught her about the difference between those students who are flourishing and those who are in more of a survival mindset. Fabienne shares her model of well-being that draws on the analogy of nature, in particular the garden of life. I wonder how this will resonate for you. She also shares the five healths that contribute to well-being cognitive, emotional, physical, social, and spiritual. I wonder what questions these five elements of health encourage you to ask about your own well-being. Now, one interesting finding that came from her research with students was that those students who were flourishing tended to be more culturally agile. This meant they were more open to new experiences, they were more curious, flexible, and resilient. They also differed from people in survival mode in the way that they use language to describe their experiences. So listen out for that fascinating description. We also discussed how her research and findings link to the transition cycle and the ups and downs that occur to everyone in times of change and transition. I really hope that you enjoy listening to this conversation and that most importantly, you find some nuggets to take away and apply to your life. So hello and welcome to this next edition of Voices in Transition. And I'm very excited to be welcoming to the conversation today, Fabienne Bales. Hi, Fabienne. Hello. It's lovely that you're here and I know that you are going to share some really interesting content on transitions and how um, students can, yeah, how they are challenged by transition, but also how they can better 
cope with trying to manage themselves through trans times of transition. So before we get into the conversation, perhaps you could just tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your involvement in education and, and your current interests. Yeah, wonderful. So a delight, a delight to be here with you. Um, really, really excited. Um, so I'm Fabian Vels. Um, I guess I'm an educator. Um, I'm an author and a podcaster. Um, I created uh, a or I'm the founder of a business called Flourishing Education. And my work really is where my passion is, because I've been a teacher all my life. Um, and where I'm moving to is more around researching. So how researching how individuals and communities and the planet all flourish and how we can make that happen. Fantastic. Well, I think that's a million dollar question <laughs> for us all, isn't it? So um, but very pertinent. And I think one of the sort of experiences that you've had in education um, has been working at a university as a director of a department. I don't know how much detail you want to give about that, but I know through that role, you've seen students transitioning into university and you've seen those who thrive through the experience and those who have really struggled. And so I just wanted to start there because this podcast at the moment is really focused on that sort of age group, that cohort of young person moving full-time from full-time formal education into sort of higher education. I'd love to hear your observations, your experiences of their experiences and, and what you learned as a result. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. So, in fact, um, this is the returning to to the university that I, I started my research. So it has a very special place in my heart <laughs> for sure. Um, so um, yes, I, I went back to um, teaching at the university um, at university in 2014, uh, and to say that I was horrified by what I came back to is an understatement. Um, so I had about nine year gap. Um, so what's perhaps relevant for for your listeners um, and, and for you here is that my career has been quite unique in a sense that I have been teaching languages across all levels in um, partly in France I've also taught a bit in, Sp in Spain but mainly in England and I've taught across all levels so I've actually managed to teach languages in um, because I'm a language teacher in nurseries and primary schools and secondary schools and uh, further education and and uh, adult education and then university and so I taught in a university for about eight years then left then you know sort of set up my own business my own language school and came back in 2014 after a sort of nine year almost 10 year gap so that I think is really relevant because when I re-entered I often describe my feeling as a little bit like a frog that has been put in a pan of boiling water and I just wanted to jump out. Uh, and what I found really interesting as well was like the response of my colleagues who had stayed and that were not as shocked, I guess, by what they were seeing. So the young people in front of me seemed to be far more anxious and far more uh, or reporting uh, feeling in a lower levels of subjective well-being 
and reporting finding the academic work much more challenging than their their peers. Um, not all of them, of course, because we don't want to overgeneralize, but I guess that's what made me really react and made me explore the the or why is it that some students do brilliantly at university and flourish and why others languish or you know now I call that being in survival uh, and what are the the key differences to that response to the environment uh, for each individual okay so brilliant so I'm going to ask you to unpack that and share a bit about your research I know you did a lot of research into this question and I think it would be really helpful for parents listening to this podcast, educators preparing students, young people for that jump to university, but also students themselves to understand, you know, what, what's the difference between those that do flourish and those that struggle? Yes. Um, so all of my work is about the not generalising. So I... I am completely against standardizing or suggesting that there is a one size fits all or that there is a magic one. So I'll preface everything that I'm about to say with that because I think it's really important. Um, And so what happens with my research is that first of all, I fell into it is what I, what I say. So I explored, I'm curious. I like asking questions. So I ask loads of questions. And then I started my research with 10 interviews with students. And then it was followed by further funding from the university and another 13 interviews with students. So my model is based on 23 interviews, in-depth interviews with students. Um, and the, the model that emerged from those conversations is called is what I call the flourishing model. Um, and it's basically, it taps into a field that is the field of ecology. So it's, it's, it's moving away from the notion that uh, we are, as humans, uh, a cog in an engine, you know, so it's moving away from the the more mechanistic Newtonian sort of uh, uh, Cartesian sort of approach that sort of says, oh, you know, we 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 are machines and and you need to look at parts in isolation. And the model is basically based on the flower. So the analogy or the metaphor that I use is we are all our unique ecosystem within big, you know, bigger ecosystems. So, you know, unique. I like to sort of use the metaphor of the garden. And so I say to help parents or, you know, educators understand, or, or I think we're all educators. So for me, educators are the parents, the grandparents, the adults in the life of the children, including the teachers, right? All of us are educators. And so the analogy of the garden called life means that we are all uniquely um a unique ecosystem in this garden called life. And it's important that we understand who that eco- what that ecosystem is. So, you know, if you have, for example, uh, uh, an orchid or a lily or a climbing ivy, then they will have different needs and different um, uh, requirements. And so it's our role as, as the adults, the educators, to be the nurturers, the gardeners uh, who, who support those uh, ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the model, to go back to the model, means that uh, students flourish. So that you can tell if a student is flourishing 
I guess uh, in a way, in the same way that you can see if a plant is doing well in an environment or not, right? Um, so you, what was really interesting is emerging from the conversations with the students. A flourishing students will use different language, for example. So a, a flourishing students, you will hear say things like, uh, I'm finding it difficult, but I'm doing my best. Um, you know, they may have, they may ask for help, whereas a, a languishing or, or, or a student who is more in survival will say, uh, it's too difficult, I can't do it. Um, sometimes they'll say, do it for me with a please or no please, um, depending on the individual. Mm -hmm. So you can use it in the language. But through my research, what emerges is this flourishing model, which is literally a plant, uh, like the image of a plant. So at the bottom and the roots and the things we don't see because they're grounded in the environment are values, past experiences, beliefs, those determining then the STEM, which is the mindset. So uh, flourishing students will tend to have more of a growth mindset, which taps into Carol Dweck's work in the US, mm -hmm. uh, whereas a, 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 a more languishing student will be will have more of a fixed mindset. And we can talk about that a bit more if you want. Um, and then uh, two leaves, so life skills and uh, learning skills, what I've called learning skills. And again, we can unpack that if you want to. And then five health. So when I first went into my research, what people were talking about was mental health. But actually what I discovered through the interviews with the students is that it's much more holistic than that. And it's not just mental health. So it's cognitive, what I call cognitive health. So, you, you know, the equivalent of mental health is how we like our thinking. It's emotional health, how we handle our emotions and uh, our feelings. Physical health. So flourishing students will take care of their uh, what they eat, their sleep, you know, all the things that we often talk about in terms of physical health and how we look after that. Um, and then there's the social health. So we know that we are social animals and we need to be connected to others and to have a sense of belonging. So those are uh, the parts. And, and students who languish or are in survival are more likely to feel isolated, for example example um and then the final one is a, is what i've labeled spiritual health which is probably the one that is the least discussed in education uh for sure mm -hmm. and the spiritual health is um more either uh feeling that we are part of something bigger so some people will mention words like god or you know uh, or, or other other words to describe that or having a clear sense of purpose. So mm -hmm. knowing what, uh, I'll give you an example, out of the 23 interviews, the, the students who actually had the higher score in terms of flourishing was a medical student who'd wanted to be a doctor since they were seven. Mm -hmm. So um, that's that's the, the five healths. And then there's five other traits, which um, in the second edition of the book, the flourishing students have now called uh, uh, cultural agility. So linked it to the world, the, the work of uh, Paula Caligiuri. Um, and so it's uh, uh, students who are uh, flourishing tend to be open, curious, flexible, resilient and i've mentioned the language bit so um you you can see that through through some of the things they say in in the language mm -hmm. um 
And the opposite is true of a, of a more languishing student who will not be as curious and not as open, and not as flexible and, and resilient. Um, and all of that then gives you a much more holistic approach and a, a very, you know, my encouragement is for all parents to to view their, their young people, the people in front of them with real sheer curiosity. So it's like what what plants, tree, shrub do you have in front of you? And how do we provide the best nurturing environment for those uh, ecosystems to flourish um, where they are? Yeah, fantastic. Wow. <laughs> so that is a very comprehensive meth- um, model, which I think gives so many, it kind of some of it links to some of the stuff we've done in previous podcasts, but it gives a very, as you said, holistic um yeah, kind of adds it all together and and, um, and presents it as a whole, which is lovely. So let's go back to the first part of it, which is about the roots, the values and beliefs and the past experience. And I think I, I kind of link that a bit to the why as well, because mm. thinking about students and um, you know, that move to uni, often it's, uh, well, this is the next step. And that's about as much thinking, perhaps this is the next step and what am I kind of, what do my A-levels or my IB, what does that lead me to perhaps take us to the next step without thinking much more about that? And I know in past conversations with you, you've had that issue with students who just don't have that intrinsic motivation. Yes. So what have you, what did you learn about supporting students um, that you could share with them now that would help them to to, to really kind of hone in on that and, and to ensure that they are approaching university with the best um, approach in that sense so I think our system uh, and by system I mean our education system the way we we we, uh, funnel our children is that we we are encouraged to hop on a hamster wheel and to just go so like the 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 way things work in England is you know it starts with the SATs and then it's just GCSEs and then it's the A levels and then it's the holy grail that university is. Um, so to give you a little bit of data for for, for people to wrap their heads around that um, nowadays it's about one in two who go to a, a higher um, higher education institution not just university but you know post 16 fe and then you know sort of those qualifications so one in two is massive right in terms of of what happens with with young people and one in four will get a first when they finish their degree so this is this is a, a result of the drive for like education 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 so players sort of push for university we all go to university um and whilst i don't have a, a problem with our young people being educated um I think part of of the issue that we're seeing in higher education is that uh, one in two means that students go to university not because they want to be there, but actually because they think they have to be there or they've been told they have to be there. And I think that is a massive issue um, because I'll give you an example. I had a tutee who, um, uh, year one, I kept having to call her into my office to discuss like her lack of attendance in in the in the lectures, and the response was uh, was like, "Well, I'm not really enjoying my course," and so I, I scratched so 
beyond the surface and started asking questions. And turns out that this girl wanted to do photography and she was there doing French and drama. Um, and when I asked, why are you here if you wanted to do photography? And her response was like, well, my teacher in sixth form, because I was good at French, said I should do a degree in French and my parents encouraged me to do the same. Um, and and I, I just couldn't help but say, you know, sort of say to her, well, do you really want to be here? Because, you know, you're getting in, in debt, you know, it's £9,000, you know, over £9,000 a year to do something that you don't want to do because you believe you need this bit of paper that says you have a degree. Don't you think that perhaps you should go and explore what you really want to do? So eventually, um, which is great for this young person in particular, and it happened in year one, um, she chose to leave and she did go and do photography and explore what she wanted. But I have had students in final year who have told me, I wish I'd not done a degree in languages, but it's too late for me now. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess to go back to your question, I think um, perhaps the question we should be asking, and and when people ask me what my thoughts are on, on going to university or not going to university, is I would say, yes, go to university, of course, you know, like if you want to be a doctor, an architect, like all those things. Currently, that's the pathway. And we want doctors to understand and be educated and to know what they, you know, how the body works and all of those things, right? Um, but it's not for everybody. So you don't have to go to university if you're not sure that's where you want to go. Mm -hmm. You can wait. And I would highly recommend, to be honest, uh, a gap year. Mm -hmm. I think it's really good for young people to have a break from uh, schooling and to go and explore the world of work, like the working in, a, in an environment and exploring, you know, the obviously currently the earning money and and what you do with that money and all of those things. I think it's, uh, in my experience, a lot of young people who arrive uh, either with that really high intrinsic motivation, I want to do this degree because um, like the second person who is the most flourishing was a young person doing a, a degree in languages because they'd always wanted to be an interpreter. Okay. So, um, so again, you know, like that in, intrinsic motivation, that big why, um, I think that that really helps um, yeah. because when you experience the peaks and I know the, the, we'll talk about that in terms of the transition, but what I call peaks and valleys now, you know, the in, in one of our books, How to Grow Grown Up, I've drawn that as like waves, ups and down. It's much more easier to navigate those ups and downs when you have a big why than when you don't know uh, yeah. why you're, you're doing yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say, I suppose the challenge I always think you perhaps have at 18, 19 in identifying that why is you probably, you perhaps you don't really know. I mean, the, the world is massive and there are so many different opportunities and you perhaps just haven't come across those. So I, the other thing I always think is it's about interest as well. You know, if you really don't have a genuine interest in the subject you're thinking about studying, then don't study it because it's not going to work and it's interesting it's my daughter's first year uni and quite a lot of kids have left in the first year because they've chosen the wrong courses and they've realized very early on that ah this isn't what I wanted the university experience fine but the actual 
course, no, and they're, they're going to rethink and come back the next year. And I think yeah, you know, when you're 18, you're very young, very young mm-hmm. often. So yeah, there's time. There's time to evolve and grow and do other things and come back. Education doesn't have to just be now either, does it? That's the other yeah. thing for me. You know, education can be lifelong. You can do a yes. degree at any point in your life. You don't have to do it right now. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, yeah, so thinking about your why, but also if you can find your why, great. If you have that there and you really feel passionate about it, that's great. And your why might be about the university experience as well and the growth that that produces itself. So that's the yes. good why too. Yes. But make sure yes. the subject you're doing is one of interest. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So um, one of the things I'm interested to just talk a little bit more about with you is you mentioned sort of those who are in survival and those who were thriving. So I'm just really interested to talk a bit more about what you mean by survival um and um what you think might contribute to that survival mindset and how if people recognize that they might be in it they can start to shift themselves from that yes yeah 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 so uh, again i'm gonna preface everything i'm gonna say with with something um so so my work is in what i call the the field of of salutogenic well-being as opposed to pathogenic well-being, and so pathogenic, and I'll explain that because it's it's it's, it's technical technical terminology, but I really want to preface that. So, um, I'm not a, a mental health uh, expert in a sense that I'm not a professional who helps people who suffer from mental ill health. That's not what I do, and that's the what we call the pathogenic. So, how do we? Uh, you know, cope when we suffer from a, an illness, uh, and in this case, a mental ill ill health. Um, that's absolutely not where my research is. My research is in what I call salutogenic, which is um, this idea or notion that we all have innate well being, um, and that we can do things to look after it. Okay, so because of that, when I talk about survival. Uh, so, so I was going to say that earlier on in the conversation, and I'll I'll, I'll say it here is you know well-being or, or um, flourishing or languishing or flourishing in survival. It's not fixed. It's not like you know. It's like the growth mindset and the fixed mindset. So it fluctuates, um, and it can fluctuate from one minute to the next. Um, imagine we're having this conversation. I've got my cup here. It's empty, but if it was full and I flicked it on my laptop, that would definitely determine how I feel. And then I would pre- probably be much more languishing or in survival than than flourishing. So again, you know, in the same way that my work is not about uh, pigeon hailing people uh, into things and and fixed and it's much more about processes and emergence and so I really want people to hear that because it is about the up and down of life and and our response to life events Um, so flourishing will will differ depending on how we're experiencing those ups and downs but there are you know obviously clearly you can see when someone is in survival or is languishing and the way you see that is um so survival is what we call stress response right so the being in survival means that people are feeling stressed out or they're feeling you know whatever you want to give a, a, a word to describe that but is this 
okay, there's a situation, uh, an event that is triggering in me a response. And that's res- that response may be either emotional. So um, it might be linked to the way, you know, the emotions I feel. Um, it might be linked to the way I think. Or it might be what I believe about this situation, what it says about me. Um, and what I see with the more languishing or, or, or students in survival is that they can be either in the, in the fight or the flight or the freeze of response. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the thaw. And so it's, it's about understanding, okay, how, how, what is our response to those events? Or do we, do, oh, do we have tools and resources that enable us to to respond to the um the the, the cultural the you know ecological the economic the, the those social conditions that enable us to handle those ups and downs much more effectively i guess mm-hmm. um you know it's the it what is our response to what i call life and lifing you know do we had do we add a narrative to that life event and do we view it as a you know it's happening to me uh and i'm a victim of this event uh or do we view it as some of the flourishing students would would talk about it's happening for me and in this there is something that i can learn from this life event Mm -hmm. um and that would be two different approaches that you would see from the, the, the the students yeah yeah yeah. So, um, and I, I, as you're saying that, I'm just thinking of the sort of the transition cycle that you mentioned earlier. So, I guess perhaps one thing to say about it is that that survival mi- mindset or thing, falling into that survival um, um, play your place of survival or feeling that you're surviving goes with that perhaps that cycle that when you're hitting a low, you perhaps yeah. feel yeah more under threat and that kind of triggers all these thoughts and responses um and I think in previous episodes we've done quite a bit on the transition cycle and I just think it's really important to highlight here that that's natural and so understanding that 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 might happen is is really helpful before you do any anything to cope with it but just knowing and recognizing yeah this is likely to happen sometimes I'm going to feel that I'm just surviving sometimes and other days I'm going to be having the best day ever um for all the reasons so so then that links me into the sort of the, the the petals on the the flowers so the five health as you call them so um I'm just thinking there about the physical health one in particular so for students I mean what what did you see in that sense with students um the impact of the way in which they were living their lives what did that what kind of impact did you see that having on health yeah that, that um yeah, 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 yeah. Also, one hundred percent. So, uh, one of the students who was more languishing in in the data set than I interviewed um, told me that he gamed a lot late until late at night. So, very poor sleep, uh, a lot of use of cannabis, um, and 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 I think those are. If you look at the research, uh, you know you know that sleep is is a, a huge, huge contributing or lack of sleep is a huge contributing factor to our well-being issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I guess what I saw the most in terms of the the lifestyle in young people um, is the whole um, the, this 
this idea, I guess, in the UK that we send our children to to have fun at university, right? It's like the partying time and all of those things. Um, and how, you know, some students would go on on benders for weeks, like just literally hardly no sleep for one week. Um, and that's because it's part of the culture, right? The the university, it's, a, it's almost like a, what, what's the word I want to use? It, it it's it's a it's a, a passage right a rite of passage that you have to go to university and 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 drink and and a lot of those students even if they don't want to go out may have like that FOMO fear of missing out so they do go out because um they want to be with the others or they see the others on social me- media posting having fun and then they feel like they're missing out um, and that's those key things. So I would say the, the most, the biggest contributing factor is sleep and lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also the other element. So, you know, our children arriving at university, uh, I had, uh, we had young people who didn't know how to navigate the city because they'd never taken the bus. Yeah. So they, they'd been ferried around and driven by their parents. So they didn't know how to read a timetable for the bus or to go from A to B. Um, they don't know how to cook. So they, they'll go and, pot, and live on pot noodles. Um, you know, um, the, the obviously like the, the healthy diet, so the, the veg, the fruits, the all, all the food we know, like the, the food we eat really is also the nutrients are really important. Mm. Um, so all those are compounding effects. Mm. Um, and, uh, and the fact that they, they then, you know, sleep. So, so their their sleep pattern will be different. And then, if you sleep in the day, then you you won't be tired in the in in the evening. And then it just it gets a, a real cycle. And I had a lot of conversations with colleagues who are neuro um, who in who sort of do neuroscience, and we often talked about what is the first that comes. Is it the the sleep that is disruptive that then affects the mental health and the and leads to mental ill health? Or is it the other way around? Uh, and I don't think we we quite know if it's like it's a little bit like chicken and egg, mm-hmm. uh, but those are probably the biggest contributing factor. So, um, because we have a tendency in our society to commodify things, we just think that we can just get rid of sleep, that we can get you know, get about enough for like four hours sleep, and most definitely in the interviews, the, the more languishing students would would be students who were gaming all night or going out a lot or or using you know um, uh, a lot of of uh, cannabis or other drugs um and that would have an impact also because then it impacts your socializing and your your sense of connection to others yeah yeah so that then impacts the social petal on the the model of the five petals so um yeah yeah and also I guess from a cognitive perspective as well because if you're tired you're not going to engage in any you know and so then you get into that downward spiral of Yes. not attending the lectures yeah. falling behind and it's yes. then so difficult yes. to get your head down catching yes. up again yeah yeah, yeah 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 so those are all the things that you know, kind of can unfold if we get sort of that basic the sort of basic health things round the wrong way and it's not to say that we're saying don't go out and have fun oh no no no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> definitely go out and have fun 
but just be aware of the impact that that fun might have and make sure that you have some calm time too to mm. catch up and 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 to live life normally um I think this is often the first year challenge as well isn't it when you're in sort of the residences and the halls in university it can be this hedonistic time yes um I think once you move out, perhaps and you you're in a house and it's perhaps you're not surrounded by quite so many people. Perhaps it's not as bad. I don't know. Did you see that trend with people? Did you see it calm yes. down in year two and three? Um, oh, no. Yeah, I mean, I think perhaps also it's like with maturity, right? I think there's also that sort of as as you and I, it again, it's not an either or. It's like an 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 answer. So I think it's a. There's more maturity. Um, there's also the impact of like the cost of going out every single night. Yeah. Um, that would have an impact. And so young people are less able to, to spend the money. Um, and also then they're more secure in their friendships. So that means yeah. that, you know, they've created their groups of friends. Yeah. And so um, and then also the truth is for the majority of universities year one means that you none of your grades count towards your um degree degree classifications so you can take more risks in the sense that you can you can have grades that are not so great and you, you're not worried that it's going to affect what degree classification you get at the end of the yeah. of your degree whereas from year two that changes and yeah. I think that also has an impact on on how suddenly young people will not all of them but the majority of them will you know suddenly like settle and start knuckling down a bit more and thinking right okay I'm here to achieve something yeah um and so all those are like contributing factors, right? It's a it's a very again like systemic. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so let's just one final question about the model, which I just uh, very conscious of time. But you talked about the five traits, the cultural agility, the research that you'd found, and that you found an interesting difference between those that were flourishing and surviving, didn't you, in relation to cultural agility? Can you just explain a bit about what you found? And, and what you mean by cultural agility. Yeah, 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 of course. So um, I guess that comes from my background because my background is in linguistics and, and in, in cultural agility, uh, perhaps because I've lived in foreign countries and, and you know, being French, living in the UK, I've always been really interested in the differences in, in our thinking, etc. So what I noticed, and, and also because the research started with mainly linguists. So, um, perhaps that's why, you know, in a way I was privileged to see that how that the, the young people who were more flourishing were, were more culturally agile. And by that, I mean, they, they're able to go beyond the manifested. They, they're able to go beyond what they see is is happening in their environments and you know questioning things so they're asking deep they go deeper uh in into okay um this is happening because um and so that's what i call cultural agility this ability to to you know so for those for people who are interested i i call back that sort of cultural agility is linked to the cultural iceberg um, and you know, looking at the the deeper reasons for things, um, and so what I'm seeing with in in flourishing more flourishing students is that they are asking questions, mm -hmm. so they're curious, 
Um, and they're much more flexible in the sense that they're not saying, well, this is how it has to happen. Um, and they they understand that we were talking about this sort of the up and down. So the other thing that I talk a lot about is the uh, when you talk about cultural agility and when you sort of start being introduced in a new culture that's a foreign culture, you, ent- you enter this sort of, a, um, initially you have a, a, a high, which is, oh, it's all exciting. Um, and then you go, you, you then go down and you start noticing all the things that you don't like about the culture, the new culture. And it doesn't have to be just a foreign culture. It can actually be um you know, for me, moving from uh, your your sixth form or doing A levels to moving to university, it is like entering a new culture. Um, if if nothing else, because actually academic writing is like learning a foreign language, you have to learn the the, the way to write in a certain way or to work in a certain way because at university we want you to do deeper dives in the subjects and not stay at surface level, which really GCSEs and to some extent A-level encourage you to do. Um, And that will create culture shock. You know, it it will generate a, oh my goodness, well, I've done this. Um, And I think it's more challenging for the students who have been more game playing and have been navigating the system and learning to play the system in their GCSEs and A-levels and by that I mean they understand that GCSEs and and A-levels are a game to play and there are rules and you learn the rules of the game and you just ace at that that game. At university it's different game, different rules Um, and so therefore that can create a bit of an issue for young people particularly if they're not flexible or open or or, or resilient. Well, there, you reminded how much there is to unpack about that. And um, yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that sort of that flexibility of thinking and approach, particularly when, you know, if you've been at a school that has handed it to you on the plate mm-hmm. for, you know, yeah. um, and, and you followed the procedure and the process to get your A-levels. And, you know, that, that those, those two years are such jam-packed years because it's it's sort of the A-levels, but then it's the uni applications and entries and all that that goes with that. And there isn't a lot of time for individuality and, and flexibility, really, because your time no. is just, no. yeah, if, you're, if you've got a few bits of curricular activity going in there, you kind of, that's it, really, isn't it? So I think that's, yeah, that would be something I would say to students listening, you know, build in flexibility of mindsets and the you know, growth mindset, fixed mindset, that comes into that whole conversation, too. But being prepared to be flexible in the way that you socialize and the way that you work and, and, and react to work um, and the way that you react to the experience to um, recognizing that it's going to be a period of highs and lows and not just a flat line. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think is, is it you, you talk about a flat line. You know, if you have yeah. a flat line in life, yeah. you're probably dead. So <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, good yeah, to yeah, have absolutely. the ups and downs. So absolutely. There's a positive <laughs> yeah. side to that too. Yes. And um, well, fantastic, Fabian. Is there anything else that you feel you want to share before you know, I've, I haven't asked you about that you really felt was uh, important no, think, to say? Uh, no, well, I mean, you know, the, 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 the one last point I just I would reiterate is like is going back to my analogy of the of the garden called life is that um, on, you know, the way you do well-being will be linked to who you are as an individual. And so 
Um, it's really important part of the work I do with young people and with parents is, is what I call that inner standing. It's like, do you know who you are in this garden called life? Do you know what your values are and what your unique gift and fragrance is? If you don't, then you're going to find it really difficult to be grounded and anchored. And you might find yourself being really taken or pushed into different environments that may not be very conducive to your well-being. Um, so I think starting with that, like knowing who we are in this garden called life, what our unique gifts and fragrances and how we uniquely contribute to the beautiful biodiversity of that of that garden that is key um from there on then you can be of service and and do all of the other things but i i, I would really recommend that people spend enough time looking at what their values are and their strengths are and um and know also you were talking about your 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 daughter and and her peers who left a new one know that it's okay to take you yourself out of an environment that you view as toxic because it doesn't meet your needs you don't have to stay in a in a soil that is toxic for you as an individual that's really important fantastic I think that is such an important point and I suppose I would also add that you know, the university experience is also about finding and understanding yourself so it's being reflection you know reflecting as as you go as well and yeah being strong enough to say nah yeah this isn't working for me whatever it is you know social situations mm. work situations whatever um, but also recognising what does work for you, what you enjoy, and as Fabian mm. said, you know, what your strengths are and, and what's most important to you. Brilliant. Well, I think that's a lovely note to finish the conversation on. Um, I will put links to Fabian's books, uh, Flourishing Education and How to Grow a Grown-Up, in the transcript anything else you want to direct people to your podcast yeah the podcast yeah. uh flourishing education so if you put the link there and also if people want to have a go at doing the um the flourishing um you know the the the, the assessment the, the flower the head of the flower um is available for free on the website as well so Brilliant. people can okay. do the online assessment and see where they are um in terms of those five healths um, and I found in the past that's been such a good entry point for people to have a conversation around their flourishing, um, languishing and what they can do, because it visually gives you a, a prorata visual of how your petals are doing. And then oh, it gives you something to focus on in terms of, OK, I might focus on my physical health and what are the one or two things I can start doing differently that would help yeah. me improve that. Brilliant. Great. Okay. So I will put links to that definitely. So fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Fabienne. No. Really interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. Now, you might want to listen to all the past podcasts, but the following ones are particularly pertinent to this conversation. Episode one, Beat the Transition Blues, where we talk about the process of uncertainty that comes with change and transition and how you can best support yourself or loved ones through it. 
episode two, Riding the Waves of Change, where we go into more detail about the experience of change and how best to cope the highs and lows that can come with it. Podcast four, What Matters to You. Here we talk about the value and the importance of knowing our personal values and what's important to us and how understanding that can help to carry us through challenging times. Now you may also be interested to listen to the student voices. Those are in episodes 11 through to 15. Five student voices voices talking about their experiences of transitions. To learn more about the work that Fabienne does, to access her podcast and take the assessment that she mentions in our conversation, you can go to flourishingeducation.co.uk. That's flourishingeducation.co.uk. And don't forget those handy resources that we discussed at the beginning of the podcast. You can access the full transcript for this episode and also the think sheets for a small fee by going to the website louisewiles.com forward slash successful dash student dash transitions. Thank you for listening. Bye bye for now.